The following episode of FOFOP is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. FOFOP advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Topop. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and uh, joining me, guest Charlie and Matt Kirshen. Hello, Matt. Hello, mate. Welcome back to the country. Yeah, and uh, I am in LA for the LA Podcast Festival and I've squeezed in a couple of podcasts while I've been here, which is exciting. I uh, just talked to Mark Marin this afternoon uh, for my philosophy podcast, sat in the same chair as Barack Obama, the President of the United States, sat in when he went and did Mark Maron's podcast. <laughs> and uh, the first thing that you said to me when I told you that was... I might have said, did you smell the seat? Which, to be fair... The first thing you said. Yeah, that is the first thing. I, but did, One but did of you, Britain's finest did you? wits. <laughs> did you smell the chair? <laughs> Look, if Mark had looked away, I would have had a seat. <laughs> but I once sat on in the same pillow as Carrie Fisher had immediately just sat on. And I must admit, I did smell that pillow. Right. I mean, that's offensive, but I mean, I would have done it if it was a man or a woman. Uh, What I want to say is it's offensive to either men or women. I don't want to think (laughs) that I only smelled it because it was a woman. (laughs) I have a story that I, you know, I'm going to try and tell you the story in a, it's a story that I do in stand-up, so I'm going to try and tell it to you in a, I'm not going to do stand-up at you kind of way. We'll find heaps of new bits for you. Uh, Which is annoying because I just taped it. So actually, that's not, (laughs) let's not workshop this one because I'll be very annoyed having just committed this bit to tape. (laughs) If literally four days later, we come up with six mega tags. (laughs) Well, it'd be a great crossover for the promo for the podcast. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually say to people, tweet on the night when they're watching the special, by the way. It's an album. It's living the album that's coming up. Yeah. Well, that's, oh, that's even better. People are going listen to the album <laughs> and then they can listen to like this is like the b-side it'll be the extras it'll it's be like the jamming. dvd bonus it's features. A, like a live version <laughs> here is it live i love it okay go on um so i have a story well i have a bit about how the queen has her own toilet right. on any uh, like assigned to her on any royal visit yeah they take it with uh, yeah right well, so, no i don't think they take it with i think my understanding sorry, is this, I, uh, for a minute but I, the obama felt- toilet they do take with i found out through a a Marin podcast. I think it was the podcast that Marin did after. Yep. Or it might not have even been. I don't think it was in the one immediately after. It was. I don't know this one, and I've listened to that immediately. I think after it might one. have actually been Marin talking to someone else. It might have been like Marin on Howard Stern or one of these, or Opie and Anthony. I think it was uh, talking about the interview, and it, like they bring the they bring the Obama toilet with a porta potty, um, which I think that justification is twofold for that i think it's partly so he always has a clean toilet but also partly security because people could like i don't know find out what diseases obama might have or do genetic profiling or whatever like, i don't know anyway that they talked about that on there i don't believe that's the case of the queen's toilet i believe she or just, just has. might sell their shit yeah like I mean, do you know I, mean yeah. like on ebay or whatever like i'd buy why may what i know like obama's I, shit as a souvenir. So... Like, if it was affordable. Like, if you stumbled on eBay one day and someone was like, there was five minutes ago and the highest bid on Obama's shit was, say, I don't know, how much would you pay for a genuine Obama shit? 
Like as a keepsake. You know what? I've been as a talking point. Genuine's the key, though. Conversation starter. I've been stung by this before. Right. No, but with genetic uh, testing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Of course. Certificate and stuff. Of course. yeah, Yeah. You don't. Because the number of times I've been on eBay and just, you know, you, don't, you just don't know what you're getting these well, days. Well, you don't know. Because it's they're, probably... They're cutting that shit with all sorts of other <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, but like, how much would you pay for a genuine Obama shit? Like, it's, it comes like certified. What consistency are we talking? Uh, no, it's like, it's a, it's a good solid... It's like a solid, good solid log. Yeah, it's a solid log. All right. One, one solid log. One solid yeah, log. This is not where I thought this would start. No, not me. <laughs> not me. I don't know whose fault this really is, but I'm. I think probably fifty-fifty on this one. But um, God, what would I pay? You know what? I'm not much for mementos, so I I don't think I go much above fifty. Fifty dollars. Yeah, I pay five hundred. Really? Yeah, easy. In a minute. Probably go to a thousand if I thought about it for long enough. See, see, but five hundred, like for a genuine Obama shit. See, maybe I'm not a memento guy. I'm not really. I don't have very many. Possessions. Every podcast for like a hundred podcasts afterwards would start with somebody sitting down at this table and going, "What's this?" I'd be like, "Well, here's the story. <laughs> yeah, you heard of, of Obama, right? We're alarmingly close to the, um, to the story I was going to tell, mm-hmm. which is so I have this bit about the Queen having her this toilet that's set aside for the visit, and the bit. The bit hinges on whether or not the initial bit hinges on whether or not that's a perk, you right. know, because uh, the bit sort of realizing, well, you know, if she destroys it, she she has no one else to blame. Right. I, uh, I don't like to go on an aeroplane if you go into know, a toilet. It, right, yeah. But you know, sometimes you go in and the person before you is the person who's done the yeah. damage. But I. If, but if you're the monster, you can blame the person before you. Right. Whereas the queen can't. So that's the. But even on the plane, I won't go into a smelly toilet. Because I know it'll still be smelling when I come out, and I right. want other people to think that was my smell. So you're a better man than me. I just go in there and just go, like, make a big show of it. Like, <laughs> God, who did that? <laughs> All right, well, needs must. And then, uh, but so a friend who's yes. ca- she's Canadian and she worked for a company that had a royal visit, and she told me, uh, she went into the Queen's toilet after the visit was over. And there was a pube, and she kept it. Right. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I mean, you've got to. You have to, just to see what powers it has. I mean, yeah, right? <laughs> like, imagine. I reckon it might have powers. You got, or, Did she try to see if it did have powers? I'm sure. I mean, I don't know. I would have made a couple of wishes on it. I would have rubbed it in a certain way and, like, wished on something. Yeah, you could have tried different rubbings. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, she's going to live forever. She seems like one of those people, right? Yeah, so something's got to be not right. Right. Magic pubes. Should um, we genetic test it to see if it's the same queen we've always had or whether they have various ones that they swap out? <laughs> Just a series of queens? Like the end of uh, The Prestige? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today... Yes. Uh, we, we started to have this conversation off air, but I did not want to have it off air. I wanted to have it on air. Yes. Because you have been to a uh, festival that I am fascinated by, and I've told you se- several times that I would like to go to myself. Yeah, well, this is the. This, the I went to Burning Man a couple of weeks or a week ago, and this is the my third attempt to go. We've talked about this because you've also tried to go in the past, and stuff's I always have. got in the way. Yes. And that's what's happened to me. I've had tickets in hand twice and had to not go because. Um. Like last year, a writing gig I was doing just wouldn't let me have any days off. And a few years earlier, 
it was the setless TV show that I was helping to produce. And I just, I knew myself I shouldn't be away from my phone and internet for a week. Although, here's what the annoying thing. Um, I, I, I reckon Burning Man might have suggested a lot of good setless topics. Yeah. <laughs> But here's the only thing. There is now internet. There is now phone connection at Burning Man. Oh, yeah, right. Because the tech companies and the tech industry are fascinated by Burning Man. Oh, yeah. They spend a lot of money there. It's heavily populated by people from the San Francisco uh, tech world. But it kind of, that slightly annoyed me because a few years ago, one of the reasons I was really looking forward to going was just to be completely away from technology. Like, uh, um... In 2007, 2008, I went to the last two years of this party Doug Stanhope used to throw in Death Valley. And it was a long weekend. And the f- 2007, there was no way of getting in touch with the outside world. And it was amazing. Like, you went over this final hill into the valley where uh, the place was called Panamint Springs. And you saw your phone bars just dwindling, like in that scene from Hot Fuzz. And then you're completely uncontactable. And then by the next year, they put Wi-Fi in. Right. And so you could get to the outside world. Uh, and like at the time, I didn't even have a smartphone, but one of the guys there had a laptop. So there was a connection to the outside world. Um, whereas at, like, I was kind of looking forward to having that again at Burning Man, where there was just no connection. And so what I, I turned off my phone. Like I turned off my phone and left it. Like I didn't touch it for the entire... That's a good premise for a movie, by the way. Imagine this is your movie. This is your zombie apocalypse twist, right? Yeah. Apocalypse. <laughs> Apocalypse. Apocalypso. Uh, the zombie apocalypso twist is um, everyone's at Burning Man and the world is wiped out and nobody knows. Yeah, right. And then people who are living in this Burning Man style existence of barter and, you know, whatever. Suddenly like, people have to use all the shit that they brought with them to there to survive on To for- rebuild society. That's a good... You, know, can, you can make that. That is an interesting way, yeah. And someone go like, actually, uh, people would know now because there's uh, an internet connection. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me, excuse me. Uh, Just notice some of the facts uh, that your project relies on are flawed because actually now... This movie is set in 2013? Well, but we've been through there now and that didn't happen then, so... (laughs) Also, uh, if you get bitten by a spider, uh, you just get ill, so... Guys... Guys, seriously, guys, guys. All right, so there's internet connections. There is internet, but I but I refuse to take advantage of the internet phone connection. There was even a phone signal there. All right, Uh, but you decided I'm going to have this Burning Man experience. How long? How long is were you there for? I was there for a week, like a full week. So a full week without connection to the outside world. Which I was, I'm a. I mean, you've seen me. I'm even by. I think we're all sort of phone addicts nowadays. In the but. you have literally I, looked at your phone in this podcast and we've been talking 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. 10 minutes. And you looked at your phone. And I did look at my phone. Quite co- early on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Maybe in a way that was about putting it away and not looking at it again. But, you know, I didn't judge at the time. I was like, you know what? He's looking at his phone. Don't make it about you. He's just looking at his phone. All I'll say is at least heroin doesn't buzz when it wants you to use it. I mean... They've got to be coming up with that, because <laughs> that's really going to keep people in a heroin. If just occasionally you've got a just buzz, goes, well, you get, I mean, I guess that's what detox is, or detoxing is essentially your body's buzzing you to say, "Hey, you should take some yeah. more heroin." I was a little bit hoping that the effects of being away from my phone and not checking it and not texting would 
last for at least a short amount of time past Burning Man. Right. Within minutes of me getting back into signal, having turned my phone off as or back on as we we're driving out. Oh no! Because I was like, I was back on it. I was like watching the emails come through. I was on Facebook. I was just it. Well, it's I was a disgrace because the internet had done a whole week's worth of stuff while you were away. Yeah, and you needed to catch up. It was interesting. Being like on- it is honestly like when they give the people the reward challenges on Survivor. These people have been starving. Oh, like, yeah. on an island eating rice like in rations for days, and then they give them like hamburgers and pizza, but they eat it all because you're suddenly like, "We've well, I've had nothing, and yeah. now there's all this stuff." Exactly, and I'm aware that's the riskiest time, like uh, because. In that week away, I would have lost some of my old tolerance to the internet. Right. And I'll be coming back to the internet at my old dose, and I could easily overdo it. Right. Well, that's absolutely right. It's, and it's like, yeah, no one beforehand's like, hey, this is really intense stuff. Yeah, just be careful, because this is like the most risky time for like you to get back Like when you were online. downloading you know, information from the internet like day by day. Yeah, you don't notice it, but then it right. just all comes in in one... One. Just at once. Massive, like, week's worth of emails, yeah. and... You can really, I mean, it can hit you hard. It can really, yeah. You can really fuck you up. So it seems like it has a little bit. <laughs> so I'm a little bit, yeah. I'm a little jittery Okay, right so talk, talk us through Burning Man. So okay, so, I, you know. How, who do you go with? Like a group of friends? Well, various people I knew were there. And I was, I ended up in the camp that a friend of mine, although the friends whose camp it was actually in the end couldn't go, but I knew a lot of her friends. And so I was okay. with people that I kind of knew, but I also had people that I knew very well scattered around the rest of the okay. event. So uh, one of them being Andy, my probably science co-host, was at a different camp. Okay. Uh, so I saw Andy a fair bit. Moshe Kasher uh, is a long-time burner. I don't know if you're aware of that. I did not. Well, I mean, I love Moshe Kasher, though. He's a suit, yeah. Super- and I will tell you why. And like this gives you an insight into me probably more than it does to the delightful Moshe Kasher. Yeah. But... He often, when I see him, compliments me on my hair. <laughs> and I oh, always Oh, yeah, you've got a similar it. thing going yeah. on there. Yeah, you and will. he will take time and he will tell, like, he'll give me a little compliment <laughs> about my hair. And I never quite know if he's taken the piss, but I choose to believe he's being sincere. <laughs> and I enjoy that moment when I see him. So, uh, so he is someone who, it, quite interestingly, firstly, he's been going for a decade and a half. He's part of the crew that works the gate. He was actually coincidentally working the shift when I came in so he was pretty much the first person I saw wow when I well he it does not surprise me in any way that he's been in this jam for a long time because uh, I read his book uh, Cashier in the Rye yes which I I also read it was it was great and his first Burning Man happened after he got sober right oh interesting so he had never so it's interesting to know people because he was pretty much just having like a private Burning Man life yeah. <laughs> Up until that point. Yeah. For, for those of you who don't know, uh, Moshe's book, um, it's an autobiographical book called Kasher in the Rye, and it's basically the story of him being a completely off the rails young teenager and then eventually sorting his shit out. And uh, it's a really good read. It's a quick read and it's a fun read and it's, uh, and it's, not, and it's Moshe, so it's funny. Um, but yeah, his first Burning Man was he was 16 and he had already got sober. Right. So, for some people, and that, that sort of struck a chord, because for a lot of people, they go like, oh, so it's all electronic dance music and people taking a huge amount of drugs. And you go, well, Moshe goes every year, so there must be a way of enjoying it that doesn't involve getting utterly bollocksed. Not that utterly bollocks can't also be fun, but there are just clearly right. different people have their own different events. Their yeah, own don't different get me week. wrong. When I go, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going for that clean living version <laughs> of it. Like part of the appeal of it for me is the utterly bollocks part yeah. of it. 
Um, but yeah, so a bit different. And here's what I liked about it, because I definitely went in with a slightly cynical mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, a few things really struck a chord with me. First thing, I think it's the thing that strikes most people who go for the first time, is just how friendly everyone is and everything is. Tell me how big it is. Describe a little bit more of it's, it so we have a context. It's very big. Like- so I think when Moshe first went, it was probably around, it was less than 10,000. Uh, now it's, I believe, 70,000 strong. Oh, so th- that's like more people than go to Coachella. Like, Probably. I mean, it's smaller than Glastonbury, which I go to most years. But then, for, for those of you who don't know, um, I should give you a quick rundown. And actually, I just recorded a, a podcast with Moshe about it, um, which goes into it in much more depth. But it's, it's not a festival per se, in that nothing's booked. Right. There's no bands booked. There's well, no this is what is interesting central stages. Yeah. So everything that's there with the exception of some basic infrastructure. Uh, and it is the most basic infrastructure. Like, all that, the, all that the organizers supply is, like, a road layout, and it's kind of arranged in, like, a, in a semicircle with spines, and it's done like a clock... It's measured like a clock face. So the roads go from... Uh, the main stuff goes from, like, th- 2 o'clock to 10 o'clock uh, on the clock face, and then the roads go from like Esplanade, which is the middle bit, and then there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, so on. Um, so they map out the roads, they put in porta potties and actually do a surprisingly good job of keeping them clean. Like, that kind of impressed me and surprised me, because I've been to, again, Glastonbury, where, nah, it's not, it's more, much more of a gamble. Um, and there's a central cafe-type area. Uh, there's like center camp where they sell, there's a cafeteria where they sell coffee and tea, and they're, is another bit where they sell ice. But that's pretty much all you can buy there. Everything else, like everything else is brought in and put on by the participants. So every stage that might have music playing on it or a DJ, every activity, every event, every art piece, every one of these mutant vehicles or art cars, they call them the drive around the place, they're all brought in and made and supplied and all the bars and the food places which there aren't as many uh are all run and operated and supplied by participants and all free like the only things you can buy in there are the ice and the coffee and then everything else is given away is gifted so it's a gifting culture it's not even a bartering culture which it used to be like it used to be like like a little hey what do you give me for this now the idea is you're meant to give things with no expectation of anything in return and you might get something in return you know you give someone a drink in your bar and they might go here have this necklace that i made but there's no compulsion there's no even expectation right you just stuff is given interesting and it creates this really interesting cool friendly culture and the other thing that really blew my mind as well having been to uk festivals uh is one of the central tenets of of this event is leave no trace so the idea is when the week is done plus the extra time to get rid of all the infrastructure and everything but when everything's done the place where it is held which is a pretty inhospitable tract of land uh should show no sign of this thing ever having been there and everyone takes responsibility for that like everyone takes their litter with them like everyone takes out their trash people would even and i like you find it becomes second nature like i found myself as i was walking or biking along towards the end of the week like i biked past a cigarette butt and a glow stick that had fallen off someone, and I just instinctively just picked them up and threw them away when I got to somewhere where there was somewhere to throw something away, uh, which was back at camp, because there are no central bins. There's no trash cans. You just 
you have to throw them away in your own trash can or burn stuff. Uh, I mean, that that alone as a concept is like so appealing to me. One yeah. of the interesting things about, uh, and I can't remember this was from the Sydney Olympics or there was something that I've read since then. It might have been at the World Cup. In fact, it was, I think, at the World Cup, even just last year or whenever the World Cup of football was. But uh, the Japanese fans are, are synonymous or, like, you know, well-known. Oh, yes, I saw that. After picking the... up their own trash after yes. the game. You saw and... them go around with, like, bin bags after the game finished, like, the match finished, and then they, I can't remember whether they won or lost, they just went around with bin bags and around the stands just Picking up their trash. Yeah. And I was like... I love that that's part of the ceremony that you have of going to the game. Yeah. Because you can actually literally infuse it in the mythology of what it means to go to something. Yeah. Like you wouldn't go and you have... It's respect for the event. You wouldn't go and have a picnic in the park or whatever with your friends and then just hopefully you wouldn't just leave your trash. You ever, you'd at least collect it all up and go and put it in the bins. Yeah. So why if you're at some like sporting event or go, concert oh, or they got cinema staff or to whatever, clear up this shit right. and you just go, yeah. Like, I mean, the cinema is the one for me. I remember there was a time where you would all at the cinema, at the end of it, take your, like, trash out and yeah. put it in the bin. And nowadays, when you look back, when the lights go off, it's just carnage. It's just people, like, pouring their fucking half, like, drunk slushies onto the fucking ground. <laughs> like, like, oh, some shitty minimum wage teenager will get rid of that shit for me. Yeah, yeah someone pouring their, like, Indian takeaway that <laughs> snuck into the cinema, into the aisle. I'm like, no, that's not actually how... You know, they can probably get a couple of random bits of popcorn you drop through the, the box that had a hole yeah. in it. But you just go, like, it's, it's very little extra effort to clasp your hand around the popcorn that sat next to you as you physically lift your body I and mean, then keep hold of it as you walk the 20 yards to the dustbin. You managed to walk with it in. Yeah. <laughs> and it was heavier then. Like, it's literally lighter than it was. Plus, you've got all those extra carbs running through your body yeah. from the popcorn. I mean, it's probably good for you to burn some to of that. To burn um, some of that energy off. Take, take it to the fucking bin. Yep. Yeah, it's a, uh, that concept alone I find very empowering. I was listening to uh, I Hear Dude, which is a podcast that I enjoy very much. And they were talking about picking up trash for some reason. They were talking about picking up trash. And so on the way back, I was walking back from a gig at the improv to here. So it was like, it's a 10, 15 minute walk. And on the way, I picked up like five pieces of trash. For yeah. no reason other than I was like, yeah, you know what? I was just walking by here. And, it, you know, and I just picked it up and I put it in a bin. And now the world is a slightly... Marginally better place. Marginally better place. Um, which is an interesting thought. Um, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've been listening to Jesse's podcast at all. I have, yes, and uh, uh, Jesse's podcast, which is called called Jesse versus Cancer, and uh, basically, spoiler alert, he has cancer. Yeah, so Jesse, uh, our friend and normal probably science co-host, is quite ill right now, and he's in back in Tennessee, and Jesse is both a brilliant and ridiculous human being, and so his podcast reflects that. Like a lot of what you. Like, a lot about Jesse can be understood from the fact that his mum is a doctor and his dad is called Lizard. Like, right. that's sort of <laughs> Jesse in a nutshell. As an origin story. Yeah. It, it, you're like, oh, yeah, I buy this character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like that. So, old hack, stand up corner. Uh, I'm, I'm Jesse. Uh, my mum's a doctor and my dad's called Lizard, which means. <laughs> I have a podcast about cancer. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Uh, so, because. Because of that, it's... By the way, uh, he, like, on Twitter the other day, I enjoy him on Twitter. He's very He's a, he's a very funny man. But I was, um, 
Okay, so this is a bit of a convoluted story. You can actually follow it on my Twitter page if you'd prefer that. But um, a very uh, a very funny improviser and comedian, Eliza Skinner, who yes. you know, um, was uh, tweeting about someone mansplaining her jokes back to her, right? Right. And so I tweeted her, uh, have you heard of like... Uh, yeah, yes, that's the joke. You know the Twitter handle. Yes, that's uh, the yeah, joke? a friend of mine runs that. Right. Yeah. So I don't know who it is, but I have interviewed a bunch of English comics, and everyone's like, "I don't know who runs that." <laughs> so anyway, that it's a brilliant little Twitter handle where, like, essentially they tweet people re-explaining the joke to the person who made that joke in the yes. first place, and it's it's just a, one of those brilliant, simple internet it's ideas. It's adorable. There's one that I sent to him recently because it was just the nicest. Uh, it was just the most lovely not getting the joke. And it was, the joke was, the, the original tweet was something, I'm not going to do it full justice, but it was something like, I hate how, I hate how my careless, slobbish neighbor is always letting milk and newspapers pile up outside her door. <laughs> it was something like that. Uh, and, and someone just in the sweetest way went, maybe you should check and see if she's all right. Something could have happened. <laughs> And you just go like, oh, bless. I mean, it's a nice concern. Yeah. I know. It might have even said elderly neighbor in the tweet. I like it in the original tweet. <laughs> it, was, it was so nicely done and it was so beautifully replied. And it was just such a... So then Jesse decided he would troll me about mansplaining <laughs> the idea of yes, that's a joke too. And I was actually doing something else. You know, when you're in the middle of something, but somebody's doing such a good riff on something that you're like, I have to respond. <laughs> So now I like am in this thing and I had to stop down a meeting I was having. I was having like an important meeting and I pretended to have something much more important to do <laughs> to go outside this meeting so that I could keep responding to his fucking trolling me on Twitter. Anyway, it was a good, good, good nice little riff. Excellent. Anyway, so, uh, so the on. reason I brought it up is someone asked him because he talks a lot about mortality in the podcast. He has his, his odds are sort of 50-50-ish. So he's and he's very open about that. He's like, you know, it's nerve wracking. It could go bad, but I could get out of this. Uh, so someone and he he's taking emails from people, and one of the questions was, um, "Have you thought about your legacy or how you'd like to be remembered?" And he made the very good point, like, even in the arts, nearly everyone isn't remembered. Right. Even the people you think are going to be remembered now, and might be for like sixty years. 300 years probably won't like how many people do you know do we remember from the 1500s how many people do we remember from the 1100s a handful a um, handful from each so like and that's th- th- the truth of it yeah like a handful of the people in the world will be remembered or do something yeah. enough to be remembered like like even like and, the and beatles cannot, for example are yeah already starting to not be remembered not in the what you even in, like in within our lifetime yeah like 20 years ago it was still all about the Beatles like yeah. you were just like and there was well, there was that thing when Kanye uh partnered up with Paul McCartney and people were retweeting kids going like who's this Paul McCartney guy as if those kids are idiots and you go like you, name name who was number one 60 years before you were born right like, yeah. maybe not 60 hang on, but who was who was 40 num- years 50 who was years. number one in the 1940s yeah do you know? Yeah. Ne- <laughs> who, who sang Tire Yellow Ribbon around the old oak yeah, tree? Yeah, no who idea. Who fucking knows? You know what I mean? When was Glenn Miller? I can name Glenn Miller. <laughs> See, but, but I couldn't necessarily pick him out from a lineup. If you show me a photo of Glenn Miller yeah. in a double act with Paul McCartney, oh, who's this fucking guy with Paul McCartney? Who's this guy singing It's a Long Way to Tipperary with yeah. Paul McCartney? Uh, so, 
so he Jesse made the point like the only thing you can hope for in life really is to just do your bit to move humanity a notch forward right like try to make your net contribution to humanity to be a positive one right understand that we are part of a very long hopefully forward progression yeah and evolution of a species so just with a bit of luck make the thing you do be a net gain for humanity rather than a net loss Right. And that's, I think, a great way of looking at it. Because we do, I think in the arts, you do get very obsessed, particularly in the short term, about your reception and how you're being perceived. And, and I, when you're... I, I lo- don't, but please rate the show on podcast. <laughs> exactly. Just five stars. Just five stars. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> um, but, and you do think about, like, oh, am I going to be remembered as one of the... Because we're in this world where we get a certain amount of plaudits and people clap when we just start our job and we clap hopefully more when we finish our job and it's all very it's all very uh carrot and stick our job it's very direct compared to most people's occupations and you can get caught up in that and you go like well how do you want to be remembered and the truth is you won't but maybe your contribution will be remembered maybe in the most indirect way maybe the things you do for society or humanity will have a knock-on effect that's down the line will make a tiny tiny difference to people in general well i even think or at least not make a net make it worse i've mentioned this story on the podcast before but it just is the one that comes to mind when this topic comes up so (laughs) here it goes again uh i was doing a show at the sydney opera house and i was i think my first book had come out and so we're doing a book signing after the gig and this uh guy and his daughter I would say she's probably like 20, I guess, 19 or 20. Okay. And he's, so he's like, you know, I guess. Like 50 something. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe even mid forties. You okay. know what I mean? Like not like an older guy, like, you know, yeah. but, but clearly father and father and daughter and they come up and just, you know, how sometimes you can just sense in the way that people are standing or the, that, you know, the way they approach you or whatever, but you're like, I knew like there was something going on or something was about to be said. You could tell that there was like something in the air and this was some sort of yeah, moment. An right? issue was about to be addressed. Right, yeah. And, and then they told me this story and I, I won't try to repeat it because I actually don't remember like the wording of it or anything like that. I only really remember the sort of overwhelming sense of like what they told me, but it, which was that when they, when she was a teenage girl, and so he was, her, you know, the dad of a teenage girl. That yeah. through the process of, you know, being a person who grows up and the hormones you're having and all those various things, that her and her father had had, that had a, once had a very good relationship and then they suddenly were having like a poisonous relationship, right. you know. And the only thing that within those years, and like a, they, they were explained to me, it was like three, four, five years, this period of years that connected them the only thing they had in common through that whole time was like i used to do this radio show and they both like dad would listen to the radio show when he drove her to school and she also liked the show so the only thing that they could talk about for all this time was this show so you just kept that narrow thread going between and then they found their way back you know after that yeah whatever that period was they found their way back to being friends and they you know now that here they were at this show together and they would basically say to me thank you that we have a relationship because even though you don't know it even though that's never a reason you would set out to do something or it isn't part of your job it's complete you know side effects like you know yeah but like we have a relationship together because of that and i was like I still think about that. Like I, I still think about that all the fucking time. Yeah. That's 
like you can and sometimes you weren't doing that show specifically for that but yeah you just Never. go alright I just brought an extra little bit of joy into some people's lives and made something a little bit better although it did turn out that that relationship then they were ended up being serial killers yeah uh, a team and they would have a, a father and daughter team of serial killers first ever yeah would not have got together without <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people were very very <laughs> actually would have killed each other yeah so and the death toll would have been a lot lower right so you don't know so what, the, less, the takeaway there yeah. is you don't know but it's still good to pick up but litter. the people they murdered were terrible people. Yeah. So, for, so we're back in the positive we're back again. In the positive. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the other thing is the nature of ramifications that there is no scenario. Like most things have an opportunity cost, at least for somebody. So yes. if I want to have uh, cheap access to electronics and clothing and stuff, it probably means that someone somewhere is suffering because you know, that I want to be able to access that. The, I've been thinking about it recently because of the Australian dollar. The Australian dollars dropped to about like 65 like US cents. When I first came to America, the dollar was like a dollar 10 American. So when I came over here, my money was like, I felt like I was in like Bali or something. Yeah. You know, like it was just exciting. I mean, I'm here. looking around at, at a fairly sizable apartment that's right. probably starting to. <laughs> this is a really nice apartment. <laughs> but at some stage, I was like, look at this great apartment, and it doesn't even really cost me anything. <laughs> and now. Now you're like, <laughs> right. So this apartment has essentially doubled, like in what it costs me, because I earn most of my money in Australia still. So that is great for my brother and my father who are farmers because the dollar being low is great for farmers for exports and stuff like that so within our own family within our own blood and our own close relationship one thing that's happened to the world is really good for one of them and really terrible for the other yeah like i mean so this idea that there is some sort of scenario where there is some perfect solution that will make everybody happy it's like a crazy way to look at the world well you know i mean i guess you could if your father and brother stop doing a weird medieval peasant job. I mean, but don't we have to have a place in the world for medieval peasant jobs? <laughs> like I enjoyed, you enjoyed your tea. It had some milk in it. Did you enjoy oh, that milk? Fuck, I always forget the farmers actually make stuff I use. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think of Look, them as like just... one of those like fake oldie worldie jobs, like a blacksmith or fireman. And... <laughs> But they literally use something you have used while this podcast was on. Damn it. All right. So back to Burning Man. So you, you pick up your own trash, which is okay, yeah, what so got th- us to that. We agree that that's a cool jam. We yeah, like so not, that. Yeah, that was a nice thing. And it's, and we agree that I, giving away everything for free, like the spirit of giving, that seems like cool as well. It is a cool thing. And we both have podcasts. There's, we, uh, like, we believe in the spirit of giving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gifting you probably science <laughs> on a weekly basis. For out of nothing but the goodness of my own heart, right? And a desire expect, for self promotion. I expect nothing in return. So, exactly. By the way, my album out. <laughs> yeah, my album will be coming out. New album coming out late in the year. Buy the old one and uh, probablyscience.com, iTunes, and Stitcher, and all good. Get a t-shirt at Podfest. <laughs> Make sure you use the live stream. <laughs> use offer code. I can't even. I can't even plug our offer code because I think it's not the right thing to plug my offer code. On your podcast, you know I think what? everyone's already done it. If they're gonna, but also the other thing is, if you want to listen to, li- uh, you want to see the live stream, you can put TOEFOP in. What's the probably science? Code? Uh, science is the uh, dollop probably for the dollop. Um, I love yes. green guide letters. You can put any of them in, but I must admit, Matt, it does occasionally piss me off when somebody on Twitter, and it doesn't really piss me off. But you know that one of those things in that moment where you're like, just don't do that, where they tweet 
my handle then. I was tossing up between Tofop and like, I love Gringo Letters for LA Pod first. And oh, I'll give it to LA. I love Gringo Letters. I'm like... Don't tell me. Don't tell me. If I didn't get it, just don't include me in that. Yep. <laughs> Keep that silent from me. Yeah, I think... Uh, someone did say... I got We got a tweet and it, you were mentioned in it. We got a tweet where someone was trying to decide between like walking the room, green guide, you, probably science, and one other, but they didn't say which way they landed. Right. Oh, well, that's okay. That yeah. can keep the mystery alive. I guess that's just a way of going like, I don't know whether they wanted us to like start clamoring for. I'm not going to beg. <laughs> I'm not going to beg people, but please use Tofop. <laughs> <laughs> I flew over here between television episodes. That is true, but I'm probably going to take a lift, so. So I can drink. Well, yeah, okay. Well, that's, I mean, I still have to get there. I, I, I got an Uber to uh, uh, Marin's place for the podcast today. Oh, yeah. And uh, my Uber driver was like, if Uber need a representative for like the Uber brand and somebody, like he literally told me about how Uber has changed his whole life. They've moved back to LA, him and his family. And he's like, he was like second generation, like Hispanic, and he was like talking about how Uber like saved his family and how he loved his wife and how he could like go out now. And it was like, wow. it was like, I was like, he oh is working God. for that five stars. I was like, <laughs> he was already on 4.9, so like he's obviously got a pretty good game, but I was like really enjoying it. We were having like a big discussion about Australian politics and stuff. Nice. It was, yeah, anyway, uh, so uh, Burning Man. Okay, so aside from the. Nu- Here's what I liked. And again, people get completely different things out of it. Some people go for the full, like the night, like the partying, the, the and it's definitely dance music heavy, but there are pockets of non-dance music to be found. Um, and I had a few nights of like nightclub-y music thing. My favorite stuff, more than the music and more than the visual art of which there's a lot of really great stuff. I really liked the performance art and the nonsense. Right. Like it's my favorite. That like that was what really hammered home. Like I've told this. I think this will be the third show that I've told this on now. Cause, like my favorite thing, far and away, like that happened in the entire event, was one night midweek at five in the morning. We're back at camp, uh, and we had a little bar in our camp. And there's maybe six of us sat in that bar area chatting. I've made tea for everyone because I brought a kettle to Burning Man. Uh, there is. People are doing nitrous. We're just hanging out and laughing and chatting. And then a little alien appears. Like a smallish, maybe five foot tall alien. Uh-huh. What do you mean? But when you say an alien, what do you mean? I mean, it, I, I'm pretty sure it was a person in an alien costume. But like what sort of alien costume? Like like like, tr- like a sort of traditional grey kind of, like the grey as the capital G grey that they like call them. Big in the big eyes? That yeah. sort of alien? Exactly. Like, that. I want to believe, you know, X Files style alien? Exactly that okay. kind of thing. Right. So that arrives. And the alien has not a. ET or like. No, no, no. Definitely more the sort of the Roswell type okay. alien. Yeah, all right. With a long, longish glowing green crystal thing. Probably like, like it was made out of plastic, like okay. a green glowing crystal sure. thing. And just pointed at us. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Didn't say anything, pointed at us. Uh-huh. At first, I thought it was just someone from our camp. And then I realized no one around there knows who it is. So. Right. And we went like, hello, and the alien didn't say anything. And eventually someone just sort of grabbed the crystal and the alien just let go and walked off and we just left with this crystal, which we just put on a table. We're like, oh, that's, that's the thing that happened. <laughs> a full two minutes later, <laughs> a full two minutes later, 
two guys in hazmat suits show up, secure the area, <laughs> take the crystal with some tongs, put them in a container, and spray us all down. <laughs> you just go. <laughs> It was so good. It was so well done. And the fact that... Oh, my God. The fact that three people were just spending... Five in the morning that was that, happening. At five. And I like presume one, they... Hey, one more run. Yeah, I, one that, more I'm sure run. that's... Ex- fact, and I, the, I just want to think about, like, the whole creation of that. The moment that <laughs> someone's thought of it. The moment that, like, someone suggested it. Like, hey, wouldn't it be fucking funny yeah. if at Burning Man we get James... Yeah, the apparently short- it was a woman. I didn't even oh. know who... Because a friend of mine chatted to them afterwards and also found out that sometimes they have a follow-up where the next day two FBI agents come around and interrogate everyone about what they saw. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's... What a great way to be spending your day, though. Beautiful. And that, that for me, sums up the entire but event. But I want to know, like, in that group, I still want to know, because there would have been someone who was enthusiastic about the idea. Yeah. And there would have been a couple of other people who'd be like, yeah, 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 we're going to go to Burning Man and we're going to pretend to be, but, like, to follow through. Oh, totally. Well, I, I'm, I'm wondering if I might, at some point, might track down who it was, because I've already talked about it on three... Right. Podcast, yourself included. Exactly. I mean, that'd be good if they, if they, they hear about it. Yeah. Cause that, like, we're, that's where those people. Cause it was, it's a perfect joke. It was a perfect. Everyone gets it. It was, everyone gets it. It's it, suitable to the environment that you're in. It was, and it's so well sold because when the alien's there, you just go, oh, yeah. You go, like, oh, okay, a weirdo was doing a weird thing. Yeah. Which is, again, perfectly normal in that event. Like, it's nothing. There's, you go, like, oh, that's something that isn't. Over the course of the week, things like that become very unsurprising. Go, oh yeah, okay, someone being suspended from by legs. You just go, okay, fine, that's a thing that's happening over there. What happens at Burning Man? Because there's some of everything happening, and you go, okay, that. And then when the punchline shows up, and they really did give it some space, when the punchline shows up, you you just go, and you sort of realize you've kind of been had, (laughs) but in the most beautiful way. Because right. you've been sucking it, you yeah. thought it was just nonsense, and then you realise it was all intentional. Except that they're essentially just doing a performance for you. Yeah. So that's why it's so great. And it is was. It's not like a prank. I no. mean, it is a prank, it but is. it's like a prank where essentially the the what the like the, the result of the prank is some awesome people have just given you an awesome story. It's exactly that. Exactly that. You know, the entire the entire the prank isn't like oh you thought something <laughs> shitty was happening, but actually we were mocking you. Yeah. The prank is. Oh, you thought something weird was happening, yeah. but actually something very intentional was. <laughs> and it was it was so well done, and uh, so you know. And looking back on it, they probably spent like ten bucks on props. I think like the glowing green thing was a little plastic toy. That's why it's a and great the tongs, idea. And the tongs in the container so were just easily executable. But just so yeah, exactly. So maybe a bit more on the costumes, but just so like it was so simple and. The reason they did it us in the camp is they did it to our f- friend. Like our friend made them do it to us because they got him, like on the plier, just like out in the middle of, in the middle of the road, uh, when he was just by himself, and they just left him stood there with this crystal for a while, just going that was weird. Before the punchline showed up, and he, like howled with laughter, and then before they could get away, he like grabbed them and went, "Look, you got to come here and do them." <laughs> I mean, they would get that all day long, though. As soon as that happened to you, you'd be like, oh, have you been done by that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Moshe Moshe took Natasha Leggero, Uh uh, who's now his fiance. Um, He took her to Burning Man for the first time. And on the first day, they got got met by a guacamole car, which is a little remote-controlled car that pulled up, a little remote-controlled truck that had, like, guacamole and chips 
and a little glass of tequila on it. And it just sort of drove up to them. They couldn't even see who was operating it and like sort of wiggled around a bit until they took some guac and had a drink and then it just drove off again. So like little nonsense like that. Okay, my, I, like, I mean, I like that a lot. That seems fun. Yeah, my, like my camp did a thing. The, the people I was camping with, like I went out with my neighbor and um, she'd been the previous year and we kind of split costs. We got our tickets together and then we shared a van and that kind of thing. She'd been the previous year with a much friendlier camp than I was with. Like, a, like they were all sort of very lovey and like happy. And my camp, I think she would have preferred to have been with that camp again. I think if she's going back, she's going with them. Right. My camp are much more cynical, diehard, being around for a long time. Which is Moshe put it, like, and I really liked it. And as Moshe put it, like, yeah, because you're a comedian. So you prefer funny over nice. <laughs> Which is definitely there. And like, not that they, not that there weren't really nice people there. Like, there were people in my, like, Giggsville is the name of the village, uh-huh. G-I-G-S-ville. And it was like this big village. And they'd been around for years. Uh, and there were people in there who I think I'll be friends with for a very long time. They're very cool people. But they're definitely a little bit more offhand, particularly at first. Right. Like, they're, they're the kind, they will help you set your stuff up but only after they've laughed at you failing to set it up yourself first. Right. Like, they're that kind of... Right, and because they, that's part of the enjoyment. Which I kind of want... Yeah, I kind of wanted, like, a bit of, like, make me be self-reliant, make me not just kind of go, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm funny and kind of charming, so if you want to help me... Like, I, I wanted to be like, you've got to fucking build this thing. Um, but they did a thing on the I Wednesday. imagine people would help you, though. You, they, do, you, do oh, seem, do. you do seem like a person that like people would help. They totally do. Yeah, people like you. They'd be like, oh, let's help Matt. But, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like... But still, like, that that village... I, just I, can't, was, I can't ever imagine anyone going, fuck Matt Kirshman. <laughs> no, let him put up his own fucking tent. <laughs> fuck him. Well, we've never been on a full camping trip together, but... Uh, it's true. And we never will be, because I think camping is mocking evolution. Right. <laughs> Um, Burning Man's different. Well, I'm, I'm happy to go to Burning Man, but like that's that's me. Like, but you might want to win a bago at. That's my no. No, I'm happy to camp at Burning Man. Yeah. But what I'm saying is to go camping. Yeah. Now that's what it's going to take. It's going to take me a, like it's a, gonna take a, a Burning Man. Yeah. Um, but they did a thing uh, uh, called Glampage on Wednesday afternoon, mm. uh, where someone and again the effort that people go to for nonsense. That someone had got like VIP wristbands printed up that were like hologram plastic wristbands, mm-hmm. professional quality. Someone else, someone else had managed to get hold of a velvet, red velvet rope and two metal, like two brass poles. Uh, we had two bouncers, two security guys in full security gear, complete with earpieces. There was a clipboard, and we just went round the area, closing off other people's bars, uh, <laughs> toilets, camps, and not letting people in unless they were on the list. Ah oh, man, that sounds Which is, like a fun... And that was, uh, yeah, I think that for me was, again, so much fun. And sort of 90 plus percent of people took it in the spirit in which it was intended. Like thought it was just a very funny bit of nonsense that they experienced. And a few people got genuinely annoyed. <laughs> like a few people... Right, I can imagine. Genuinely. Like if you were just... Because most people, like the, once they, if they played along, yeah. like the security guys with, the security guys in front of the rope wouldn't let people in. But then if you gave a good or funny enough bullshit reason why you're on the list, right. they'd go the like, list. oh, very, I'm yeah. sorry, sir. I'm sorry, yeah. ma'am. And you suddenly get a wristband and then you go in. Right. So, and then, and so for all the people who played along with that and then got into that, they found that 
doubly hilarious because <laughs> then the then they're like, well, we just had a bit of nonsense. And then we got weirdly annoyed, but then we got led into the VIP. What is what, right. the, the sh- this? Is our bar? <laughs> why we, why do we just have to haggle to get into our bar? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. What about? Um, uh, did you say that was there like nudity and sexual stuff? Because that's what you hear about as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of nudity. Like, there's a lot of sexual stuff. There's some, and you see some, but it's not as overt as. Like, there aren't people generally just fucking in the streets. Right. Although you might go past a camp and see someone sort of tied up in fairly impressive bondage sometimes. <laughs> uh, like, within, like, but normally within a tent, like, not right. like yeah, out on the I street. Mean, hey. But sort of still semi visible yeah, from just, the path. Yeah, but just like, I mean, a tent with a From view. the path. Yeah, exactly. Let's um, keep the tent door open, love. There's definitely <laughs> a lot of, there's definitely a lot of nudity. Mostly, most of that nudity is either topless women or fully naked men. Okay, uh, interesting. But you, so men don't go like the. So yeah, women go half half naked. No, I mean not always. There's a f- no. certain number of. But like, but you get. But there's more men nuding up than there are women. Yeah, and also the nudity sort of increases as the week goes on. I think as certain people get more comfortable right. with. I'm just he's in the nude. I don't have yeah. to fucking be nude by Wednesday. And there's there's a thing known as shirt cocking, which certain on, men what, partake in. What is what is shirt cocking? It's pretty much what you expect if you break. Break it down into the shirt two. Shirt cocking. So is it like shirt fronting somebody but with your cock? No, it's uh, it's basically guys who are going around wearing a shirt. Oh, on their cock? No, but with nothing else. So like like basically, <laughs> you know like the way a, a, a two-year-old might run down the beach? Like they've just had their nappy taken off no, and I, they've, got, I, they've, take, they've escaped. I don't know if I can handle that. I so feel that like was, I've finally seen something. I don't know. Which I, I think no. I think that's worse than male nudity because that shows a real intention. <laughs> that it's shows like, a real. Well, I just want my dick out. Yeah, I don't. It's like the minute that like I, I live near a nude beach in Sydney, right? And they like always wearing hats, but like completely nude, you know. And you're like, what? Oh, slip, slop, slap. Yeah, right. Or just hang on, wait just a second. Don't slip, slop, slap. There's a lot of slip, slop, slap. Just slop and slap, right? Well, is the is the slip the shirt? I think you know, slip yeah. on a shirt, slop on the sunblock, slap on a hat. Slap on a hat, yeah. So it's really just just slap. slop and slap. Yeah, well, slop, yeah, slop and slap. <laughs> That's it. You're right. You've broken it down. <laughs> We've got to get rid of the slip. We're not slipping. Um, it's interesting to me that because that is really just like I'm going to rock out with my cock out. Yeah, but I'm gonna keep my. But you get. You definitely- I guess that would actually be my preferred position if I was gonna nude up. Though I would still prefer the protection of having something on my upper body. So you uh, but you de- you get very quickly desensitized to nudity there. Right. Like it definitely. I think day one or two, you're like, oh, that's a lot of tits, and then by day four, you're like, hey, yeah, you just. Yeah. You, it very quickly normalizes. Right. Um. But. Yeah, and you know there are diff- there are certain camps where more sexual stuff's happening. And, and so, like, are you aware of those camps in your general experience of the festival, or is yeah, it like, like just like my friend Sandra? Or is it like your red light district of a like a? No, they're dotted city. around, but like, I mean, there are certain places, certain camps are like they're are centered in certain areas. Like, there's what's known as the gayberhood, which has a lot of the LGBTQ camps that are all centered around that area. Um, and I had a couple of friends in there. There was, uh, with all with great names. There's like, uh, there's, um, Camp Beaverton, which is the lesbian camp, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. And, uh, what was that old camp gender blender, oh. which was for, which was a very like all gender inclusive, yeah, whatever you want to be, uh, camp. Um, uh, 
And then, uh, but then up the road from there, there was, um, so do you know Sandra who does the Sex Nerd Sandra podcast? No. Okay. Uh, it's a podcast on Nerdist and I've done it a few times. She's a friend and she was part of the crew this year that's running the Orgy Dome, which is very much as it sounds. Right. So two men enter, one man. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it is. It's like, there is the Thunderdome. That is something that actually. Oh, really? Oh, no, there's a full, and that's been running for that, years. That is actually a good sl- slogan for like yeah. group sex, two men enter. <laughs> which, <laughs> although not allowed to, because uh, the, the Orgy Dome is very specific. It's all, it's all genders inclusive, but. Okay. It's very specific. Uh, so what, what's must... the first rule of Orgy Dome? First rule of Orgy Dome yeah. is no singles. Oh, yeah. Okay. You have to go in with at least one partner. Well, and that... if one of you needs to leave, if one yeah. of you needs to drop out to go to the toilets or something like that, then but, you have to go yeah, out together. Your partner has to go out together. Um, it's a buddy system. It's a buddy system. Yeah. It's exactly that. It's a compulsory buddy system. Right. Uh, Everyone has to bring a plus one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but they also have the, the Thunderdome. There's a group of people who build a Thunderdome every year. And it's this full, huge geodesic dome. I went to see it. Some friends of mine fought in it. And, uh, <laughs> like, it's nuts. Uh, and you can climb. Like, I climbed halfway up. By the way, I'm normally... This is the, one of the weird things about the event. I am not good with heights. Uh-huh. But for oh, okay. some reason, I seemed, like, by day three, I was like, yeah, if I could, I'll climb up the sides of this Thunderdome that would right. normally have me quivering with there. I imagine there's a lot of things that you do there that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Yeah. And I, I, and I think that's probably one of the great freedoms of it. I'd say so. Uh, and it's, so it's this huge dome and people are all around it and people are also climbed like over up the top and looking in uh-huh. and they, they tie two people onto huge bungee cords. Now this is cool. all after you've signed your occupational health and safety waiver. Right, yeah, yeah, right? of course. There's a yep. full set health and safety waiver and yep. a break. Uh, apparently they do you've got your hard hat and your high vis vest on there it's definitely one of the more dangerous ridiculous don't they apparently they are pretty there is an undercurrent of responsibility like I know someone well this uh, is the whole point someone who wasn't allowed yeah like Uh, the whole point of it is a responsibility because like literally if there's a major accident or whatever happens that's the complete opposite of that definition of leaving no trace yeah. Because the minute that something goes terribly wrong, you're literally leaving a trace of like, you know. You. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely be self-reliant and don't be a burden on others is, uh-huh. is a sort of general ethos. Um, but they are that, that, the people who run that, uh, the Thunderdome, the battling, uh, they do check people to see. Like, they'll look and see if they're inebriated. They'll check their eyes to see if they're high. And if they look like they're tripping or whatever, they won't let them fight. They won't let them take part in it. That's what I like about Thunderdome. It's yeah. still got some, <laughs> still got some... Know, decent standards. Um, so they, they strap them onto bungee cords, pull them both back, and then fire them at each other <laughs> while they twat each other with, like, sort of... Well, they twat each other with... They've got these foam-covered bats. Yeah. But I did see one fight in there where it was two of the guys who were part of the... Uh, I can't remember the name of the group, but they're, they're basically the guys who get there weeks beforehand uh-huh. and help build the real like central infrastructure. And they're exactly the kind of nutcases you'd expect from the people who are willing to spend a month and a half in that environment rather than just seven days. And they were lamping each other. <laughs> like They right. were like closed fist punching each other in this thing. And presumably friends. Like, I think they were, like, good friends. I get it. These are the sort of guys that watch Fury Road and just went, yeah, that's pretty much my life. Yeah, yeah, a little bit tame, but... <laughs> yeah, I guess. I'm not wearing so much of makeup, but apart <laughs> from that... <laughs> so they were they were fully going at it. Um, 
but yeah, so that exists. But then, and the orgy dome exists that my friend Sandra was helping to run. Yep. And then again, uh, it'd be great if they were also on bungees <laughs> and fired towards each I'm other. I'm ninety percent certain somewhere <laughs> in Burning Man there was at least Look, some kind of. If you, know, you stick around until next week, we combine the Thunderdome with <laughs> the, the orgy dome. dome. VIP, you need a VIP pass. Yes. Two men enter, then leave, then enter, then leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what didn't you like about it? Tell me what. What do you think? It, like, if you know, because uh, I mean, in, in any experience like that, you're gonna have like you know. Yeah, there were definitely bits and bad bits. I don't know if there were like overall didn't like, but mm. there were definitely. Uh, yeah, what did you not find everyone most uncomfortable was great. or unconfronting? Well, some of the negatives I kind of enjoyed. Like, I enjoyed elements of the harsh terrain. I enjoyed elements of the work. I did a couple of shifts working in the cafe. Or like, actually just Oh, worked. so, yeah. So, what did, what did you do to contribute? So, I helped out a bit, like, setting up and building up, building some of my friends' things and taking it down. Uh, not that much. But I also worked a couple of shifts in this in the central cafe, which I enjoyed. I talked about it on Moshe's podcast and... Uh, like I was like, I think me and Tasha did, both did shifts, and we we're like, did we come across as huge twats? Because we we're like, oh, we're playing it, doing a proper job. We because like, it kind of was a bit like right. that. Because I kind of people were going like, do you want to do stand up? And as the week went on, the more I was like, no. Even if I can find a stage that's appropriate, I kind of don't want to. Someone I know who, a friend of mine met someone that week who was also a first timer. They just met someone for, just briefly on a car, and she was like. Uh, I'm a model and my gift to the player is me. So if anyone wants to take photos with me, <laughs> like you know, which is a real level of dickishness, but I, um, got a photo with her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I'd met her for totally, but, um, don't, you don't pass up that opportunity. I use the Wi-Fi to tweet it. Just wait till I tell the Go people in Los license. Angeles that I, I met a model, <laughs> but, um, but I, so there was a bit of me that kind of didn't want my contribution to the event to be the thing you do all the, the rest thing of the I time. do all the rest yeah. of the time and the thing that I kind of can show off doing. Yeah. And I know that people, there were people there doing the thing that they can show off doing. Like there were amazingly skilled sure. performers and technicians and artists doing the thing that they do normally at the very top of their game. But I kind of, you know, I remember reading something on a forum where someone was a couple of years ago and I was the first thinking about going where someone was going. I just think I Googled burning man stand-up comedy and i found some blog of a guy who's like i'm gonna try stand-up comedy for the first time at burning man that's my resolution and you there's a bit of me that's like i could probably go on after that guy and smoke him (laughs) 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 you know like you could kind of go my gift to this festival is not doing stand-up comedy after that guy (laughs) and thus not ruining or maybe not or maybe not maybe because i just be too fucking smug about it i go on and have a shitty game but either way like like, this is not the burning man experience no that's but also it's easy like stand-up comedy is is something that comes relatively easy to me because it's what i do six days a week and have Uh done for 14 years um it doesn't challenge yourself in the way that like yeah yeah so i wanted to do something that was more manual labor something was actually just something that felt like work rather than felt like a hobby 
And I mean, that's really interesting. But also, I'd be horrified by the fact that I just had a bad gig and it ruined my whole Burning Man. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. That's also true. Hey, did you hear what happened to Will yesterday? He actually was in the orgy tent and they turned it into the bungee tent. And he actually just went in there with his model who said it was his her gift to him for the festival. And they were on. he had the best day. But then he had a shitty spot at four o'clock in the afternoon yeah. in this tent. And now he's gone home. No one, no one wanted to hear his observations. Um. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of wanted my contribution to the event to be things that I wouldn't normally do, even though, even though maybe that's a maybe that's a silly way of thinking about it because it isn't the thing that you can best contribute to that society. Yeah, it isn't like the sort of each according to their ability, no, giving according to the needs because it's not because if if it because, was like what yeah. is the thing I'm what is the thing that Matt Kirsten does best, it would be stand up comedy. Most likely, yeah. uh, you know, it's at least it's the thing I'm most practiced at. I have not seen you work a cafe. No, but you are an accomplished stand up. I was a pretty decent coffee slinger. I used to work retail. <laughs> I've got I've got some speed about me. Right. Uh, You've done some open mics. I've done some. Uh, yeah, I know. I know my way around a cafe, <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely not. But it, I I I enjoy doing that more than I think I would have done just sort of getting that ten minute ego burst. Well, here's the other thing. I imagine you still got some sort of because he's. I will put. I say it from my point of view. I won't put my emotions on you. You can. Oh yeah, like, please. But I would enjoy working in a shop for a couple of hours. To me, that would be something that I would like, if yeah. somebody said to oh, me, no, go, exactly that. I mean? And like, this is what I started talking about Moshe show. And this is why I started to feel like a bit like a cock because right. I realized it is still an ego thing. Of course it, it is. is still, you're feeding your ego in a different way. I'm feeding my ego in a more Play indirect way. In real life. A hundred percent. Like feeling in a different way. Like I'm like on the one hand, if I did comedy, there we go. Like, look at me. Fucking, this is what I do for a living. Uh, working in that cafe. I'm still like, huh, look at me doing something that's, like below the thing that I do for a living. Well, it's and basically, basically like, you fucking look dickhead. at me. I'm being a normal person. <laughs> it really is. I'm a normie, everyone. It completely is. Yeah. So you go like, it's still fucking, it's still ego. It's right. still, there's no getting away from ego. Uh, but, uh, look at my ironic take on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got really into it though. I was like being fucking, like I got very into just I like, I could open a cafe slash open mic. I was like, anyone else need help? I've got three stations covered. <laughs> Open macchiato, we'll call it. Uh, <laughs> and that'll be what I changed my name to as well. <laughs> um, Just Mike Kirshen. Yeah. <laughs> um, things I didn't... There were definitely a couple of days that became grueling. Is it too long? In a sense, yes. But in a sense that too longness of it actually becomes a good thing because uh-huh. again that. i think i think some of the grueling nature of it and some of the slog and some of the fact that there are highs and lows contributes to the event yeah, or contributes to the overall yeah. impression if you, if you just took the good bits it's like a modern day action movie it's yeah. they take all the good bits out of action movies but they keep out all those other bits that make you actually appreciate the good bits yes and it, it kind of so there was like a night where it's like god i don't know lost all my friends and I don't have my phone so I can't get hold of them and now I'm like just cycling around lost and and bored uh, and tired and I'm like what am I doing here and so I, I had those moments for 100% uh, but I'm kind of glad I had those moments mm-hmm. and it, like it felt like a bit of a brain reset um, so there was there were things like that yeah, that was that was the main 
the main negative. I know, I know people who've been every year complain about the inc- ever-increasing douche ratio, and right. one of the big complaints these years is like the plug and what they call the plug-and-play camps. Right, which is, camps, yeah, which is your IT people coming in and these $10,000 a night, like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, a, a exactly. Festival, uh, sides. People who just get basically parachuted in <laughs> and arrive to find everything already set up for them and catered for them, and they get given these $900 bicycles that someone just gives them and an art car that someone has made for them to drive around on, and they leave having not really experienced it it's just a party where they go oh people have made pretty things i'm going to drive around um then that's how they want to I, I can understand finding that frustrating if you've really worked for years to try and to build it and then these people swan in but, in but then a, also another, you get to feel superior to those people yeah but in another way you get to have an authentic experience that they will never have yeah so you do, do you know get I mean? to be a little bit more smug and you know definitely the experience i had was somewhere between those two points oh. Because that's what I feel like I would need. Yeah, because I, I would definitely like, I would like a somewhere between those two points experience. Because you know, I I helped I helped out and I definitely uh, aided a few people putting stuff up and I put our our stuff up and I uh, helped take some stuff down and I worked a couple of shifts in the cafe and so on. But I there are still people who did a hundred times more to make the event what I than I did, uh, and were there. W- long before me and left long after me. I feel like you've done a lot of sweet promo for this uh, alien experience, though. Do you <laughs> right? know what I mean? Like, I feel like in some way that's still you doing your bit. That's You're a- gifting them the uh, free exposure on that- a myriad of podcasts. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that was a beautiful... Those guys, again, that's such a simple thing. And probably the preparation for that probably took them two afternoons. Right. But... That's, that was their contribution to the event. And, and what a they, wonderful contribution. What a wonderful contribution. So, yeah, some people contribute by building huge projects and putting in a whole load of manual labor. Some people just have a really good idea and execute it brilliantly. And like there, there were a couple of guys on the last day that we found who would just set themselves up as a mobile old-timey candy store and were just going around with a little, like a little trolley full of candy. Uh, I met a guy... <laughs> I met an English guy who was dressed up as an old, as like a 1950s tea woman, and he had a trolley and the make and like just all the makings to make a proper cup of tea. Like he had a little portable camping stove and a kettle and a um, and an assortment of English teas, and he was just making people tea on the the way around. You go, ah, good for him. That again, that probably took him about maybe two or three days to get everything together, and that was his. That was that's what he did. That was his week. I love it. It's very interesting to talk about. Will you go again, do you think? I'm pretty sure I will. Uh, unless, I mean, I don't know what's going to get I in mean, the way. Of course, but like, but you, my plan your experience at the moment, of it was one that was positive enough that you would think you would like to experience it Definitely, again. yeah. And, I, and also, having done it once, that I have a much better idea of what I'd do differently next time. Yeah, and what you could get out of it in a different Yeah, way. exactly. And, you know, I, I prepare slightly different. You know, I, you can only prepare so much for something like that. And there are lots of good guides. There's the survival guide that come that the official Burning Man people put out, but then there's also many people who've written great essays and lists on, like, this is what you need, and, like, full Google Documents checklists, where which I, which I found very valuable, where... Because there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have thought of to bring, 
had I not found them on those lists. Uh, just things like um, uh, a cup. Right. Uh, um, because if you go to the many bars around the playa, they will serve you drinks for free, but they don't give you cups. No. Because that's trash. Because that's uh, MOOP is the acronym that they uh, have, which stands for matter out of place that ends yeah. up being left around and either gets trashed or, you know, people, they end up with all these empty cups that they need to do something with. So people have, people travel around with their cups normally clipped onto something they've got with a, like a carabiner or something. I actually found a cup on Amazon that has uh, like a carabiner as, like a camping cup that has a carabiner as the handle. Although if you do get that one, uh, re-screw the screws in because it turns out it's pretty shitty and it falls apart. If you know, <laughs> that's something I discovered. You need to add that to a Google document. Uh, right. Um, but yeah, that's one of those things that you wouldn't have thought to have brought if you didn't read the guide in advance. Um, and it tells you how much water and food that is a good idea to bring and uh, what kind of cleaning products are a good idea. I mean, it's mostly wet wipes. Right. But... It's interesting. That's a very it's it's very fascinating to me. We should finish this up because uh, Podfest starts tonight. It does. And, uh, I'm going to head off there in a few minutes. Yep, I'm going to go for a walk. You're going to go to the, some see some shows, but we're both going to go and see uh, Charlie's doing walk in the rooms tonight. I don't really know why I'm plugging that, but because <laughs> you won't hear this before then. But, but anyway. you can listen to the recording. Oh, you can listen afterwards. to it later. Yeah. yeah. Or you can watch the live stream for three weeks after the festival. Very true. Use the code TOFOP or other codes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can use TOEFL for any other yeah, code like whatever. science. Or like science or I love green garden letters or dollop uh, or whatever. Yeah, and we're probably sciencing tomorrow at noon. Oh, brilliant. So I don't know whether this will go out tonight or whether it'll go out later. I, I'm thinking that I might put it up in the morning to give uh, Podfest a plug. So. so it might go out just in time. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and if so, we've, we've got Sean Carroll as our guest scientist brilliant. and Patton Oswalt as oh, our guest comedian. Patton's doing the rounds. He's doing uh, the dollop as well. Is he, is he really? Obviously just doing a few of his favours in one day. Nice. That's a <laughs> very a funny show is the dollop. Fest. You can just uh, knock off a few favours. I saw <laughs> Marin was doing a few shows as well. He's clearly like I can just like, I can knock off three or four in my book. Yeah, yeah. Marin, one day. Marin, if I remember rightly, tarted himself around a lot in previous <laughs> podfests. He was actually, he was quite, he was remarkably generous with his time. He was because a lot of people at PodFest, there are the book shows that are in specific rooms with audiences, but there's also the podcast lab that they have set aside that anyone who's at the PodFest can just take their recording equipment in there and nab who they nab. I think I, you, I saw you do more than one of those. And yeah, I did, I did a, few. a couple of those last year. But I remember, yeah, Marin was relatively generous with his time on those ones as well last year. I mean, I think that like I, he's in an environment where like, you know, like, if you had, like, the podcast that the president did yeah. and they were having a festival that celebrated podcasts, why wouldn't you make an appearance at that? Right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you get to be sort of king of the event. And, right. And you're in fairly good spirits. You, yeah. You know. It's already an awesome festival. Like, everyone yeah. who goes to that festival has a good time. But if you're, like, the king of podcasting, <laughs> it's probably, like, a really nice time to just walk around and enjoy being the king. Probably pretty good, right? <laughs> So yeah, we're, we're going to be doing probably something. Because being the king of podcasting in the like ranks of show business, you're not really the king of most other rooms. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like you're not the king. if there's TV guys I'll have already you know that I am very top of the pile of this thing that most people don't quite know what. It, so it's like a radio. Th- so yeah. what do you tune into? Oh, so you're the best at almost radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have you know I am a Vine celebrity. <laughs> Ha <laughs>
there was if there was a Periscope audience in here right now, they would. Oh yeah, Matt Kirshen, yet another member of the Snapchatterati. <laughs> Uh, Matt, uh, so yes. the, uh, any other plugs? You got gigs or uh, whatever? Uh, I don't know. I probably do. Where do people find them if you have you can, uh I tweet everything at Matt Kirshen and Facebook at, uh, slash Matt Kirshen at mattkirshen.com, although I'm quite bad at updating that. And then if you listen to Probably Science, when I've got fun stuff coming up, I normally mention it on there. There you go. Uh, so. I am doing my political will shows that have to be massively rewritten now that we have another new prime minister. Oh, yeah. I've got uh, to, I, we didn't even get onto that. I've got to ask you about all of that. Okay. Well, well we, we can talk about it. We don't have to. I mean, have, have you got another 10 minutes? What's the time now? I mean, We're, it's 540 uh, something. Um, okay, five minutes. We can talk about it quickly. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull's our new prime minister. Tony Abbott is gone. Yeah, so he, but he uh, is so, from the so same also party. Also, 30 minutes of my show because it really was about 30 minutes about Tony Abbott. So, oh, no. Yeah. But also, yay, yeah. but no. I mean, yay for the country. Yeah. Just boo for my show. <laughs> like, pretty much the only thing it's boo for is for Tony Abbott and my show. Yeah. Everybody else is wrapped. Because it... He was terrible. The just the worst. Really bad, right? I, I mean, mean, like just the most. Imagine the worst you can think of, and then double it. Because, like, my understanding, and again, I I only get little bits of Australian news uh, to seep through, and often when various stuff. friends of mine, all the good stuff that seeps through. Yeah, and normally yeah. when people like yourself or other Australian friends tweet or Facebook interesting links, uh-huh. uh, but um, yeah, he seems to be like a real, like an insecure George Bush. Like oh. almost like like all of the awfulness combined with the ignorance combined with the just having to prove a point like the small man syndrome where he just so it was just everything hitting the lowest common denominator and the weak he like punishing the weakest. I think really his thing was that he and, and I mean he was a great opposition leader because his response to everything was to blame the opposition. But when he was in government, he was He's a great nothing. opposition leader. Right, like he he kept like even in his like. Like his speech that he made, you have this opportunity after you get kicked out because everyone's suddenly on your side a bit. And if you make a... If you can be gracious. If you can be gracious, it does a lot of... And he literally like mentioned the Labor Party, the opposition in his... Like in that speech, like they weren't even who beat you in this one. The guy in your own party beat you. So so how did he get how did he get kicked out? How did he get replaced by someone from his own party? Okay, so well, the, basically the way that it works, which I assume is the same in the UK, right? That you elect like a party and not a p- particular person, and yeah, then the so, party chooses the leader out of like yeah. So it's in the Westminster system, yeah. So in so. Britain, yeah, we we elect members of parliament in different constituencies. Yeah. If there's an if one party has an outright majority, then they automatically become the government. Yes, and. As a general, as pretty much as a rule, the leader of that party pretty much automatically then becomes the prime minister. Absolutely, but and people don't specifically vote for David Cameron or no. for unless you're in David Cameron's specific electorate. Exactly. Otherwise, at least not in name. Like in in practice, it is right. a cult. It is a bit of a personality battle between the leaders, but. In theory, at yeah, least, but yes, the, you vote But in for. the rules of the game, rather in the rules of, than, yeah. than what the people perceive the rules of the game Absolutely. to be. Absolutely, you are you are electing. You are electing the uh, individual constituencies, and then technically the Queen appoints the Prime Minister, who will almost certainly be the leader of the party with the most votes. Right. So his, uh, as the Australian system is uh, incredibly similar and may, may even be the same. Uh, and it, the Australian system also the same... Uh, thought process or mindset exists about it in that the, the a lot of people are upset that the prime minister has been changed. They're like, we voted for Tony Abbott. 
Like, okay. yeah, people do feel like they voted for Tony Abbott, even though only a small electorate of people literally vote for Tony yeah. Abbott. Yeah, and right? that's the people who are in his specific constituency. Yeah. So, so basically, he was incredibly unpopular, and though he had lost like thirty opinion polls in a row, right? He was like doing a terrible, terrible job, and there was no way they were they were going to lose the next election. To, the leader of the opposition in Australia, the Labor Party, is terrible. Like this, who is the current leader? His name's Bill Shorten. Okay, and he's terrible. Like, he's the worst. Like, even his speech he made the other night when they were changing leaders, like, which is your moment to stick it in, essentially it was like him going, hey, I just wanted to take this opportunity to remind you that I'm terrible. Right. He is terrible, right? And he was the only person, apart from Tony Abbott, that would have been devastated the other night because he was going to win because he's terrible, but he, but he was just going to win on the base that goal. Tony Abbott was like so. And then suddenly this new guy's in. Literally next day, 10-point turnaround in the polls. Next right. day. So there wasn't actually, so there wasn't an any kind of a public election. This was an internal coup. This was an internal coup. Okay, yeah. so it's very much the same as when Margaret Thatcher was deposed in the right. early nineties. Yes, uh, in Britain, where she was, it was in between two general elections, and the tide was turning. And she'd we more can't than, go to the next election with Margaret Thatcher as prime minister. Yeah, so was she's it gonna, John Major that took it was over? John Major yeah. who ended up being. Yes. I mean, not not it wasn't direct. Like there was a sort of there oh. was a coup. Okay. And she was forced to stand down, and then there was a period of time after her resignation where there was an internal Conservative Party battle for leadership, and okay. John Major eventually came out on top. Interesting. And he, and he, if I remember rightly. There was an election very soon after that, which he just won, like with a very slim majority. And yeah, that was 92. And then in 97, uh, he like he held on for as long as he could. And then 97 was when Tony Blair came in with a landslide. Right. So uh, basically, Labour were going to be back in charge after this next election. And they did not deserve to be. They, they, they've done a terrible job and they're right. terrible in charge. But Tony Abbott was doing such a terrible job. So now there's this new guy, Malcolm Turnbull, who is very eloquent and has led the party before, but not to an election. Right. Uh, he was the guy that Tony Abbott actually beat when they overthrew that leadership, and he only beat him by one vote. So he's kind of been sitting there for a biding while, his time. biding his time. My understanding is he, from the article I read, he's already turning shitter than he might have been. Like, like, didn't he? Like, one of the things that was terrible about Tony Abbott was his, despite having like a lesbian sister uh -huh. or something and just and despite being in Australia which is normally one of both the most progressive countries pro in the world on those sort of issues yeah, yeah super progressive second country in the world to have women have the vote and one of the first countries in the yeah. world to ban up like apartheid and uh, campaign against it huge that country yeah. Uh, yeah huge LGBT community particularly like in Sydney where they've got the massive the Mardi Gras Mardi Gras, famous Mardi Gras. Uh, yeah, and I know Australia does have a very conservative undercurrent as of well course. but it also has a real it's I think a real libertarian a streak yeah, where there's a real, I think Australia is one of those countries that has a, a strong kind of laissez-faire, like, oh, it's not, not, not affecting me, so right. it's not my business kind of feel. It used to have anyway. Yeah. Yes, you're right. And then Tony Abbott has been stubbornly standing in the way of any progression on that. Now it's the last English-speaking country to not have equal marriage and so on. Am I, am I right in thinking your new guy was in support of equal marriage and seems to have slammed on the brakes since he suddenly became in charge. Here's what I would... I mean, yes, you're right on the face of it. Absolutely, you're right. Okay. And there's two thoughts on this. And, uh, and I'm not sure which of these things is true, but I think it's probably one or the other of these things. The first one is that the system is so broken 
that no one can get to the top without making a series of deals that means that <laughs> whatever they personally believe, they are so hamstrung by the deals that got them to the position of power that they can't follow through on those things. Right. Now, that might be true, but that's a really sad thing to believe that the system is so broken that we can never have anybody who stands by their principles again and leads by their principles. Yeah. So I'm choosing to believe this other thing, which is this. What's basically happened, because the Liberal Party in Australia, despite their name for people who are listening from overseas, are the Conservative Party in Australia. But the the Liberal Party in Australia is made up of two really separate groups. They're Conservatives, which is what Tony Abbott was, who are very much your old school, you know, Conservative approach. You know, they are anti-marriage equality and they don't believe that climate change is real and like a myriad of other things. Oh, that's another one of Tony Abbott's ones, isn't it? Absolutely. And then you have like... You know, the liberals who are economically perhaps conservative or, you know, fiscally responsible or whatever you want to say, but on social issues are progressives right. for that very thing that you said, more that libertarian idea of like, yeah. if it doesn't hurt me, who would I be and why should the government be involved right. in what people do? Which in their makes own sense. Part? That to an extent exists both in Britain and America as well, where the sort of right wingers get split into the more, yeah, the more interfere, like the more uh, social right wing as well as fiscal right-wing, and then the more fiscal right-wing but socially libertarian people. Right. So basically what you've gone from in this thing is like Tony Abbott, who had surrounded himself in his government by... Because here's the thing. Tony Abbott had to keep you know, his supporters happy, right, to right. keep his like voting base. So basically what ended up happening was all these cabinet positions were ended up being filled by idiots. Idiots who were loyal to Tony Abbott because right. like they're loyal to him because no sensible person would ever give these morons a job of responsibility. Right. So now he's not only is he terrible, but he's had to put all these terrible positions people in these positions to shore up his power. So hopefully what will happen. So okay, so you've had that. And then on the other side you have the, you know, socially liberal, small L liberal people, but like yeah, economically conservative liberals who now they've got the power. So Malcolm Turnbull is in charge of them, right? Well, I mean, that's kind of, you know, they're the people who've supported him, that aspect of the party. Yeah. So there are more of them. However, here's what I would say. So now imagine the example of like a, a sporting team or whatever. And you've got like a new coach in charge. And he has the philosophy that half of the players have, which is we've got to play this style of football, yeah. right? But there's the old coach had the whole, we've got to play this defensive style of football. Now, you know that all you've got is these players. And the thing is, you can't have half playing one way and half playing the other. So for the moment, you've no got to get marriage. them all to work together first. So then you can start thinking about playing the opposition. Because if you can't get your own team to work, you can't beat the opposition no matter what your policies are. So you you suspect Turnbull might be kind of biding his time a little bit. I reckon he'll go to, even though he said he won't at the moment, I think that the deal that I reckon he's done is, because Australia's moving towards, like, I mean, if you look at the polls, over 70% in pretty much every poll in Australia of the public want marriage equality. Right. So it's a popular position to take to an election. Oh, yeah. So you think he's going to drop it just before the election or just? I think what he's going to do is he's going to do, at the moment, he's refused the free vote, which is what he could have done. Because he was like, if they have a free vote now, it'll probably get passed now in parliament. There's enough people on that side who will vote for it, plus the other side, that it would probably go through now. Right. But I I think what he's done to make his deal and make his peace is he said no free vote which is what the conservatives want right but instead of going to a plebiscite i think he'll take it to the election i think he'll trust himself in the next year to talk them around to a position of saying we will not win this next election unless we take marriage equality to the people as our position and you then you get to look like a hero rather than uh 
rather than a conceder. And at the end of the day, you can make a very valid argument that marriage is a conservative policy. That's why David Cameron had success bringing it in the UK, because at the end of the day, you can argue that the idea of marriage is a conservative idea. Gay people are already fucking... It's legal, legal for them to fuck whoever and Let's whatever they want. Let's get them under the want. banner of the law. Like, literally, you can put them in a tent at Burning yeah. Man. Let's get them in the harnesses, though. Get, get them in Let's the harnesses. Let's get them in the bungees. But, but the point is, they're fucking. And the point is that this argument that they're like, oh, well, but what about the children? They're already allowed to raise children. Yeah. Like, both of these things are already legally in the law. So there is no argument in fact it's a very conservative idea to say hey we think that the family is important and marriage is important and one bond publicly with one person that's a that's a conservative idea i think there's a real way you could take the base with you the ones on the like the ones who are they're never going to vote for the opposite side anyway yeah i think that's what if i was going to make a prediction i think that's what will happen all right yeah be interested to see all right, uh, Matt Kirshen, it's been a pleasure to talk Dude, to you as, as always. always. Thank you for having me. Uh, and we, we, we have to record a couple of uh, things for the podcast. Yeah, we do. Yeah. All right, I'll see you soon. Bye.